the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. But you, you admit, poverty of spirit, that you are morally bankrupt, that you are upside down in debt to God. You, you have a bill, a mortgage that you cannot pay off, and then you believe. You put your trust, your confidence, your reliance, not in your own self and your ability to fix yourself or the world around you, but in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill them. And as Galatians indicated just a moment ago, the law and its dictates brings us to our knees so that we can look up, because no one can keep the law. You can't even keep the Ten Commandments, not even for a week. You know, and the, and, he, and the Pharisees, you know, they're trying to say, well, if you don't commit murder, you're okay. If you don't commit adultery, you're okay. If, you don't, if you're not envious of what other people have, you're okay. If you don't take the Lord's name in vain, you're okay. But it's all about actions. It's all about externals. It's not about internals. And as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. And what comes out of him starts in the heart. We're like tubes of toothpaste. You squeeze us and what's inside comes outside. We're like bags of tea. You put a bag of tea in hot water. It's not, the, the hot water doesn't create the tea. It just releases what's in the bag. And so it's what's inside of us that condemns us. It eventually works its way outside of us. So I want you to understand that these three reasons, I want you to understand these three reasons about this passage so that you're not surprised, so that when you see what comes next, it all makes sense. And the first reason that we talked about just now was Jesus taught nothing new. He did not add anything to the equation. He took our sin away. But in terms of doctrine, in terms of teaching, in terms of grace, in terms of mercy, he added nothing new. 
The other thing that's kind of interesting for us today here, just by way of application, is this. Jesus accepted the authority of the Word of God. It wasn't like, yeah, I know this is true, but yeah, you got to be practical here. That's what we hear today, right? Well, I know the Bible says this, but. There's no yes, but. Yes, but theology is no theology. I'll give you an example of yes, but theology. When I was 17 years old, my 1970 AMC Hornet with a two-barrel, 232 six-cylinder engine, a piece of junk, in other words, I went to turn the key. It didn't start. The flywheel, I like, yeah, you know, doing all this stuff. You couldn't jump start it because it had an automatic. You couldn't push start it because it had an automatic transmission. So I went to my dad and said, Dad, can I borrow the Ford LTD for a date tonight? He said, I'd love to give you the car, son, but. But meant no. I believe the word of God is true, but. But I really don't believe the word of God is true. Yes, but theology. Jesus is saying there's no such thing as yes, but theology. You either in or you're out. You either believe it or you don't. You can't pick and choose. I did not come to fulfill, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus taught nothing new. And what you have to understand is, do you accept the word of God like Jesus did? If you're a Christ follower, is it true or not? Is it applicable or not? Are you going to be guided by it or not? Jesus was, you're his follower. What are you going to do? Okay. Reason number two that none of this should catch us off guard as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. God's law is not nullified by God's grace. God's law is not nullified by God's grace. It builds here. These thoughts build on each other. Jesus' discourse here builds upon itself. He makes these little steps, these little foundations, so that we can be taken by the little finger and he'll lead us into truth. God's law is not nullified by God's grace. Where do we see that? Verse 18. For truly, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one yoda, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I want you to think about what that means. Now, what's a yoda? Well, if you're from Savannah, Georgia, like me, it's an iota, okay? It's the holy language. A yoda is just a little, is, is like an i in Greek. And dot, not one yoda or dot, on the, on, the, on the Hebrew letter dalet, there's a little knob on there. If you take that knob off on the back, it becomes something else. It becomes a whole nother letter. And he's saying not one detail of the law will pass until all is accomplished, until heaven and earth pass away. Now, here's the problem. As far as I can tell, heaven and earth are still here. We're here, right? Heaven and earth have not passed away. God's word has not passed away. God's grace does not nullify God's word. The coming of Christ does not cancel the durability of God's word in the Old Testament. Meaning, meaning what? God's word is eternal. God's requirements are eternal. And, but, God's grace to those who receive and embrace it is eternal too. What does that mean? Every human being in this world, when confronted with the gospel, has a choice. Do I want to be under the law, or do I want to receive what Christ has fulfilled on my behalf? Remember in the video, everybody keeps getting weighed. They're being weighed under the weight of the law, and they're not good enough. But Christ steps on the scale in our behalf. His righteousness is credited, or an accounting term, imputed to our account. But the law is still there. See, Scripture comes with no expiration date. It, do, it doesn't expire. It doesn't decay. It doesn't ferment. And the law and the prophets, the word of God, magnifies God's grace because it's a schoolmaster that we cannot satisfy, that we cannot please, that weighs us down so that we, under the burden of the law, look for mercy. God's law has not been nullified. It applies to all those who reject it. And so Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. And as we read already, it is not nullified. It cannot be broken, Right? The scripture cannot be broken. All these references to the scripture in the New Testament 
are largely referring to the Old Testament. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What is that? It's the word of God. In the New Testament, time and time again, Jesus and the gospel appeals to the authority of the Old Testament. And as, even his followers do the same. Look in your Bibles at 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. I want you to watch what Peter is doing here or what the Spirit is doing through the pen of Peter, so to speak. What does he say? All flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, in some of your Bibles, that's in like capital letters or bold letters or something like that. That's because they're quoting the Old Testament. Peter is quoting Isaiah 40, verse 6 here. All flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains, some translations say abide, some translations say endures forever. And what does Peter say here? And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the good news that was preached to you. And this is why Jesus says what he says in Matthew 5, 19. Because in his day, people were trying to find weasel words to get around the law. Matthew 5, 19 says this, Therefore, and when you see therefore, you have to go back a verse or two to see what the therefore is therefore, right? I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. And, what is, and until heaven and earth pass away, this law is in place. And heaven and earth are still here. You and I are still here. And then there's the therefore in verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. God's law is not nullified by God's grace. Truly, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one yoda, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished, until all is accomplished. And as I stand here today, heaven and earth are intact. God's word remains and applies forever. So reason one, Jesus taught nothing He taught the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets are full of grace and law. Oracles of of judgment and promises of salvation. Reason number two, God's law is not nullified by God's grace. Therefore, what Jesus teaches us should not surprise us. And it should not have surprised the people in that day if they knew their Bibles. But they had been listening to Pharisees and scribes come up with all kinds of things to help manage the law, to make the law doable. And they had lost the meaning of the law. You know, even when you read in the Old Testament, it talks about the circumcision of the heart and the circumcision of the flesh. That's why it's inside out, right side up living. This whole world bases its existence on outward conformity rather than inward change. Oh, it tips its hat to inward change. But at the end of the day, if you want to change the world, you change it a soul at a time through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why do we need all this? Reason number three, because we're not good enough. Not one of us in our own strength, in our own way, can balance our own books like the lady in the video. Well, doesn't this balance out? My mother went to church. You know, I've tried to live a good life. None of us, none of us are good enough. There's only been one person in all of human history that was good enough, and that was Jesus Christ. And he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become, we might be made the righteousness of God. Not good enough. Where do we see that? Look at verse 20. Verse 20. For I tell you, Unless your righteous deeds exceed your righteousness, your righteous nature, your righteousness exceeds, not meets, not matches, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never, and the emphaticness of the Greek there is you will never, ever, never, ever, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. We are just not good enough. 
R. Kent Hughes writes this about this passage. To the average man on the street, the Jews of Jesus' day, this was absolutely shocking. The scribes and the Pharisees were made, had made obedience to God's law, the master passion of their lives. They calculated the law contained 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions, and they tried to keep them all. But no one was good enough. Not them, not me, not you, not us. We've talked about this before. It all goes back to two religions. The religion of human achievement. We do stuff to please God. We do stuff to buy God off. We do stuff to manipulate God. We do stuff to earn God's love. And the religion of divine achievement, what God does for us and did for us through Jesus Christ. And no thinking person, I don't know anybody with a morsel of common sense who believes that they can be perfect, that they can be, that they can be sinless. And if they do, they just committed their first sin, the sin of pride. Maybe the second sin, they lied if they verbalized that belief out loud. It's a little humor here. Lighten up, guys. Okay. Human achievement, divine achievement. Does any reasonable person believe that he or she can be spiritual or moral enough to satisfy God's nature and justice and perfection? The answer is no. Powerless, helpless, hopeless people must look to God to resolve and restore their relationship with him on their behalf. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 3, 23 through 25, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, under its thumb, under its pressure, shut up under faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. When Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses the scrupulousness, the legalism of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't being unkind. He was being very kind because these people looking to these seemingly perfect men had to be as hopeless as the day is long because if they had any sense of their own sin, they must have felt like under the rabbinical teaching of their day and the rabbinical teaching of today for the most part that there was no hope for them. He was speaking as kindly as he ever spoke because he was explaining in the most dramatic terms the impossibility of salvation apart from his merciful, loving grace. And he made that grace available through his death, burial, and resurrection. Which takes us back to the first beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who realize they cannot make it on their own, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anybody here thinks they can make it on their own? I hope not, because you can't. We all fall short. We need to understand and acknowledge that there's no way to heaven but through Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers. There's law and there's grace. The law applies. You commit murder and he'll say later on, you hate somebody in your heart. You've already committed murder in the eyes of God. You are under the law. But Jesus Christ's righteousness exceeded that of the Pharisees. He was sinless. He was merciful. He was gracious. And he stands ready, willing, and able to forgive every sin committed past, present, or future if we put our trust in him. Because we can't earn his love, but we can receive it as a gift if we're willing. Why is that? He had to do that because nobody here, from this pulpit and this stage down there, to you and out on the street and up on the hills around us, is good enough. It's not that we're all bad enough. It's not that we're all axe murderers or bank robbers or slave traders or whatever. It's just that we're not good enough. Say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Well, congratulations. I mean, you know, well, I'm not as bad as the person in the pew next to me. How do you you know? Why are you comparing yourself to them? compare yourself to Christ. That's the message of the Old Testament. Look with me at Ezekiel 18, beginning in chapter 4. God makes a statement here about his standard. Behold, 
All souls are mine. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything and everybody belongs to him. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son, the soul of the mother as well as the soul of the daughter is mine. The soul who sins shall die. The soul who sins shall perish. Think about that. We've talked about this before. You break a city ordinance, maybe you get a speeding ticket. Break a state ordinance, maybe you go to jail. Break a federal law, depending on the law you break, maybe you get the death sentence. Break an international law, somebody declares war on you, and maybe you die in the process. What happens when you break God's law? Because God's law is greater than all that. He's not an elected official looking for somebody's vote. He's the king of the universe. And that's why it repeats his law in the Old Testament. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like it says in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin, and we have some uh, charts to demonstrate this for us. We've had to use these charts before. Sin creates a gulf between us and God. It separates us from God. It's not that God leaves us. It's that we break this barrier when we choose to treat him as if he's irrelevant, as if he's something less than God. And, the, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One of the most, one of the sports that I'm ready, really ready, you know, we have extreme sports on TV. I want to watch Grand Canyon jumping. Ever seen that? You know, everybody stands on the edge of the Grand Canyon and long jumps. So some of us, some of us might go 10 feet. Some of us might go 20. Some might go 30. The problem is, is that the Grand Canyon on average is 10 miles across. At its furthest distance at Marble Canyon, it's 18 miles across. And at its most narrow distance, where you and I have the greatest chance of making it, it's 600 feet across. All have sinned and fall short. We might all jump different, differently. Some of us are not as bad as others. Some of us are not as good as others, maybe. The bottom line is we all fall short of the word of God because we're not good enough. We're not good enough to bridge that gap. There's no way. That's worse than the Grand Canyon. That's from sin to sinless perfection. And none of us can bridge that gap. Christ can, though. Christ is good enough. We see that in, in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot balance out your own account, but Christ can do for you what you could not do for yourself. He will bridge the gap. We see that in the next slide. How did he do it? With the cross. He took the penalty of our sin. We violated the law of God. The wages of sin is death. What we have earned for ourselves is death. All of us have. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't show partiality. The wages of sin is death, but in contrast, on the contrary, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his coming to earth and fulfilling the law on our behalf, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And the law says the soul who sins shall die. And he died on that cross for you and I. And that cross is the bridge that closes the gulf between you, me, and and God. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Is it a complicated process to become a child of God? To have Christ step on the scales of justice for you and make you good enough? The religion of divine achievement? No, it's not. It's as easy as ABC. We've been here before, and I can't drive this home enough. It's not that complicated. You admit that you've broken God's law at some point in your life and that you deserve justice. You admit that you've created the messes and stresses that have separated you from God. You admit that you've put yourself above other people, that you've minimized God and maximized your own desires at some point in some way in your life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You, you admit 
poverty of spirit, that you are morally bankrupt, that you are upside down in debt to God. You, you have a bill, a mortgage that you cannot pay off, and then you believe. You put your trust, your confidence, your reliance, not in your own self and your ability to fix yourself or the world around you, but in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And then what do you do? You commit yourself to his care. You, when, you go in, when you go home today, or when you came in here today, you sat in that chair. You sat in that pew. You didn't go. You didn't walk into the sanctuary and go, okay, the place isn't going to cave in. You put your faith in, where, in that floor and in that chair, and you sat on it. That was the object of your faith. Christ, you commit yourself to him. You surrender. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe you can save me, and I will put my life in your hands. Take me where you want to go. Take me where you want me to go. Strip away everything that you want to strip away. Put me where you want to put me to display your glory, to be used by you, to, to be salt and light. You take the gift. You receive the gift. You accept his pardon because it's the best deal anybody's going to get. That's it. That, that's the application of this sermon if you don't know Christ. doesn't matter whether you've been going to church or your mother went to church or you tried to live a good life. You can't. Nobody's good enough. And if you are a child of God, what do you do? What do you do in light of this sermon? Well, it reminds you of what Jesus said, reminds you of who and what you are. You are salt. You are the salt of the earth. And therefore, you are to live your lives in such a way as to influence those around you toward Christ. You are to try to be Christ for them. You are to try to live in a way that exalts God and humbles men and women. You are the salt of the earth. Therefore, flavor the lives of the people around you. What else can you do as a believer, as a Christ follower, as a child of God? Be what you are. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see Christ in you. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Represent him well. And what else? Well, be what you are. Somebody saved by grace. Remember, remember that you weren't good enough and that Christ made you good enough through his death, burial, and resurrection as you received him by faith. Live each day with an attitude of gratitude toward the Savior. Thankful for every opportunity to live out your faith in a world that is broken and hopeless apart from Christ. Under the law, they're under the law. You be a light, you be a beacon that shows them the way out. That shows them that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That shows them that you really do believe what you say you believe by the way that you live. And that you're only too happy to serve and to suffer for Christ. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is whose we are. And you and I need to govern ourselves accordingly, realizing that Jesus taught nothing new, understanding that his grace does not nullify his law. Without him, people will perish, and that none of us are good enough. So we can't look down on anybody. Right? We can only look across to people who are just like us, who have made a mess of their lives. We can't look down on them. We can't judge them. We can't be like that Pharisee who said, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. But we look at them, blessed are they that mourn. We grieve for their loss and we try to help them find comfort in the Savior. We, help, we try to help them see Christ as he is, not as we are. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare for communion, Lord, help us to realize, Father, that this Sermon on the Mount is our declaration of independence in Christ Jesus. Independence from the world and dependence upon the Savior. Help us to realize that this is his manifesto, Lord, and that he loves the word of God, that he loves the God of the word, he loves his Father, and he loves us. And help us, Father, to live in light of that love. Help us to be salt, Lord, 
not to lose our flavor by being involved and tied up in the things of this world, Lord, but being focused on the mission that you have given us. Help us to be light, Father, to so let our light shine before men and women that they may see our good works and we may bring you glory by pointing them to you. And help us to realize, Lord, that we're not better than anybody else. We're just as bad off as them. It's just that we've been given a gift. Help us, oh God, to share that gift with others. We pray this in Jesus. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.